Yay Networks. You know, a lot of people are scared to keep it real once that microphone cuts on. Not me. My name is D1. I'd like to welcome you to the Mission Vision Podcast with D1. We're going to be talking about everything. Oh, I'm talking about God, purpose, spirituality, keeping it real. You know what I mean? Love, relationships. I'm talking about personal finance, getting your money right, keeping your money right, growing and multiplying it, keeping it really, really, really real, and much more, y'all. All from your boy D1. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? It's your boy D1. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Mission Vision with D1. This is the podcast. Today, I got my little bro on here with me. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, my name is Christian Gans. I'm a sophomore here at Harvard studying Histon Lit and African American Studies. I'm from Mississippi, hopefully planning to get my JD and PhD in Critical Theory and Black Studies. And this brother is the truth, y'all. This brother is smart. This little brother is 19 years old. And we just had an amazing conversation and interview uh, in my office over here at Harvard. But uh, I was drawn to this brother when I met him recently because he from that dirty south, just like me. He from the Jackson, show. Mississippi. Yeah. And and it was cool. We, we really hit it off. Um, and so if y'all hear, I'm not sure if it's going to pick up on the podcast or not, but there's some dope jazz music being played downstairs right now, it, you know, that I'm listening to. We just vibing out. It's actually just a, a beautiful day up here in Cambridge. And uh, as we were talking, uh, I wanted to, you know, get to know more about Christian. And he just put me on to something that he's involved in that I looked at him and I was like, bro, you can't be for real right now. Like, what? What is the activity and what is the specific kind of activity it is? Uh, talk to the people, bro. Yeah, so I'm on the policy debate team here at Harvard. It's called the Harvard um, College Debate Union. And so policy debate starts and it's a high school debate event. And so basically you have, it's a partnered event. You have two, I have a partner and then the other team will have a partner. And basically you have a resolution that's for the entire year. So this year the topic is, giving legal personhood to artificial intelligence, nature, or non-human species. And so the point of policy is to go up in the event, propose a plan. So like a, an affirmative plan would be to give artificial intelligence patent rights that they can like have claim on the patent and not the creator of the artificial intelligence. And then on the negative, you would go up and rebut that. But what a lot of debaters do, like well, especially like black debaters, what we do is offer critiques. So we're engaging with critical theory, whether that be like settler colonialism, um, anti-blackness case. So a lot of us run like Afro-pessimism. So that's engaging with authors like I told you, like Sadia Hartman, um, Frank Wilderson, or like we're engaging with other authors like Fred Moten, who's who's discussing like black noise and like the under comments at the university and being a site of resistance. So like when you come into the university, you should know that it is like an unethical formation and you should be coming here to get what you can basically what Fred Moten would call to steal from the, from the university mm. and then use that information to like help your community out in like a multitude of ways. And so those are the arguments that we're articulating within the debate space. And those are called like critical arguments because we're basically refusing the like status of the resolution as a whole and saying that we reject that. And instead we should be engaging in like alternative forms of praxis. Okay. 
Okay. I could tell you a debater because you just went off just now, bro. <laughs> for real. Normally people are talking for like 30 seconds like, yeah, da-da-da. <laughs> Boy, you just went nah, in. Because the speeches are long. So in high school, you have eight-minute speeches, and then you have five-minute speeches. And then in college, you have nine-minute speeches, and then six-minute speeches. So it'll be like the first person speaks, that's the 1AC. So that's the affirmative constructive. Then you have the negative constructive. And then you have uh, your ne- your partner speaks, so that'll be the second affirmative constructive. And then you have the third, I mean, the fourth speech, which would be the second negative constructive. Mm. And in between each one of those speeches is three minutes of like cross sex. So they will be asking you questions like trying to pick holes in your arguments. And then after that, you have four speeches and those are like the rebuttal. So then you have the negative rebuttal, which is six minutes. Then you have the affirmative rebuttal, then the negative rebuttal, then the last affirmative rebuttal. So you have to be able to. Like, speak off the top of your head for six minutes because you can't have everything written down. Oh, all right. So as a rapper, as a hip-hop artist, and a public speaker, which which I am, um, you're used to being able to just, like, come up with stuff on the spot, you know? So I'll I play a beat. You know, we in here right now, you heard me listening to music earlier, and, you know, I'll play a beat, I'll get inspired, and bam, I'll come up with something. Or I'll get in front of an audience and just... Life experience and sheer adrenaline will will inform the words that I come up with as to how I speak to my audience. How much does that differ from debate to where I'm sure it's a lot of research that goes into informing what you're going to speak about? Like how much how much of what you speak about during a debate is based on like intense research you had to do before the debate? I would say the majority of it is based off intense research before. But it's just being able to deploy those at the right times and having the techniques and like being able to remember all the strategies that you have. So like before debate space, before you're like going into the debate, you're doing prep, you're scouting the top teams, you're trying to find out what arguments they're running, you're doing prep against those. But every team you're not going to have prep on, but you have to know the generic structure of your argument. So if I'm running like my Afro pessimism, K, no matter what they run, I'm going to link it back to anti-blackness. I just have to find that link. So whether they're talking about artificial intelligence, I'm going to be like, why are you giving rights to artificial intelligence before like you can stop black people from being killed and like black people being seen as non-human? If they're talking about nature, then you link that to like kind of like the same argument, but also like how black people have been dehumanized and made like in the construction of animals. And that's like referring back to like, you have to like refer it all back to authors. So then I would refer that back to like the Kia Iman Jackson to becoming human and how like black people were made plastic within the world where at one point we're like superhuman, but at another point we're below human and how all that functions as forms of anti-blackness. So you really just have to know the generic arguments and generic structures of your arguments where you can deploy that against any team, against any argument. Mm, okay. Okay. So that's the, that's the strategy that goes into it. Um, uh, what has been, what has been your experience debating against, uh, I guess non-black people. What a, is there a is there a style that you can identify that's like, hey, black debaters uh, have this style? And co- yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so like, um, when you're debating, most white debate teams they're going to be running like the basic policy arguments. So you're they're going to run like they're going to be following the resolution, which is called being topical. And so then they're going to be reading at like 300 words per minute. They're going to try to get as many arguments, but also non-black debaters have debate strategies specifically for black debaters. So they'll change up their entire plan when they know they're about to hit a black team because they know the arguments that we're about to run is going to be different than what they're going to hit in a regular debate round. And so black debaters, 
I won't say like to generalize what black debaters do, but like a predominant number of them are running critiques, like I mentioned earlier. So like if we're on affirmative, we're running a critique, you usually want to like have a narrative story in it. So you're using poetry, you're using rap, you're using jazz. So like my plan last year was about um, black music as a form of secret communication from the plantation all the way to the current day. And so I had Kendrick Lamar's down playing in the background, but it was the reversed part. And so I was talking about how that sends like secret communication to black debaters that white people don't need to understand in this debate round for me to win the argument, as long as I can articulate why this should be prioritized within the debate space. And then they'll come up and say, they're really just going to run that you're not topical. And that's like unfair for like education. That's unfair for class, which is like going back and forth within the debate space. And then the other generic argument that they're most likely going to run is like a capitalism K. So they're going to say that root cause is not anti-blackness. The root cause is capitalism. And we should be organizing within like socialist modes of production. And so within the debate space, you would just perm that and say, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. It's a permutation. And so we can organize through like black resistance and black music while also like doing the anti-capitalist organizing as well. Okay. How many people on, uh, on a debate team? Um, it really fluctuates just depending on the school and like resources and just like how many people stay and how many people quit. Like on the Harvard debate team, I would say we have like, between like 12 and 20. So when you go to a match, I'm trying to understand. So like when you go to play basketball, you know, uh, you got you got 12, you got 15 people on the team, but you got five people on the court. Gosh, so when, yeah. when Harvard goes against Yale in a debate match, how many people show up like, hey, we're on okay, Harvard's okay. team? And then how many people are actively, you know, debating? So everybody on the team can actively debate. So it's split up. Like I said, it's a partner event. So think about it like a tournament bracket structure. And so each team you'll like get randomized assignments to debate such and such. So like at a debate tournament, there will be probably like over a hundred teams there. Wow. So it'll be like the top debate schools. You would think like Harvard, um, Dartmouth, Michigan, Emory, um, Kentucky. Those are like the big names, Northwestern. Those, those are like the big name schools. And so they're bringing like five, six different teams and the team is like just a partner event. So then, everybody's randomized at the beginning. You have six rounds. Each round lasts two hours. <laughs> Boy, I know you lie. Hold on, hold on. We're we going to talk more about this in segment two, bro. Hold on, man. You just hit me with a bomb because I was just about to say, hey, man, I'm coming to the next one. But <laughs> six rounds, each one lasts for two hours. We'll see y'all on segment two in a second. Woo. I'm back here with my little brother, Christian Gines. Did I say it right? Yeah, you said yes, it right. sir. A represent Jackson, Mississippi, talking about Harvard's debate team that he is an integral member of. And I would like to know, what did you just mean when you hit me with that bombshell, bro? You said uh, a debate lasts for six rounds, and each round lasts for about two hours. That's I know, I know, the, I know multiplication six <laughs> times two. That's twelve hours, bro. Yeah, and that's just the preliminary rounds. So then you have the break round. So basically, like I said, you have all those speeches in the round, but each speech is the first four speeches are all nine minutes. So you're already hitting 40, like mm -hmm. what, 36, 36. And that's not included, including prep time. So then you add another 12. So you're at 48. And then, I mean, that would be cross sex time as well. So like prep time, you have 10 minutes and then cross sex is three times. And that happens three minutes and you have four cross sexes. So that's 12. So it adds up. And then, you just have 
the rebuttals later, which are six minutes a piece. So it adds up to around two hours per round. And usually you have like four rounds one day. So basically mm. the way the tournament was structured, we we will fly in on Friday after school. So fly in Friday night. Debate start on Saturday. Saturday, you have four rounds. These are the first four preliminary rounds. Each will last around two hours. And that's not even including how long it'll take for the judge to make their decision. So then the judge has to make their decision, which can take anywhere from like five minutes to 30 to 50 minutes, just depending on like how good the round was. And then it's a team of judges. Um, so in the preliminary rounds, it's one judge. But when you get into the, the break rounds, then you have three judges. And then sometimes it'll move up to five. And so preliminary rounds, four day, four on the first day. Then second day you have two and then you have break rounds. So then the break rounds are basically like when the bracket happens. So then you have like double octafinals, which would be top 32 at the tournament. So then every, all 32 teams hit are like bracketed. And then it goes to 16, then goes to eight, then goes to four, it goes to one. So it goes all the way into Monday. Mm -hmm. So it takes up Friday to Monday, your entire weekend. And it's a rigorous process. It's a very stressful environment, mm -hmm. um, very high intensity, a lot of just a lot of prep, a lot of research. You're not getting a lot of sleep if you're you're not eating like you should supposed to be eating either. So mm -hmm. it's very like high intense, almost like a sport, except longer because sport event. You go football game, three hours, you done. Mm hmm. Three hours is just one round, bro. You just made me think of, <laughs> you just, bro. You just made me think of something. I was in second grade in New Orleans, and I joined the chess club at my school. Right, yeah. Uh, I learned how to play chess, and I remember we had our first chess tournament. Big, huge room, you know. Big, huge. Uh, like I don't know if it's a cafeteria or a big auditorium or something, but all these chess boards, all these different people, right? Yeah. And you're playing like speed chess, mm -hmm. and you win, you go right to the next game and da 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 yeah. and, and it was just, you know, showing this and how intense this was. And I remember being there and I and, you know, just the way fate had it, I had a I had a baseball game the same day as this chess tournament. And I remember sitting there and before my first game as second grader, I was like, All right, so I'm about to be here for all these hours playing freaking chess, um, racking my brain like opponent after opponent after opponent after opponent and keep going. Or when I leave here, I get to go and just play baseball, you know what I mean? And yeah. just and just it, it's a different type of release. It's a it's it's less stressful on your brain, you know, it's more physical activity. <laughs> for sure. And I remember I won the first chess game. Um I lost the second chess game and it was double elimination. Mm -hmm. And so the third one, I was like, man, I'm going to lose this on purpose because I'm ready to go play <laughs> baseball. <laughs> like literally, because I was like, it's just exercising a whole different, you know, muscle, yeah. like, like, like doing that. And um, with that being said, I've also grown an intense appreciation in my life for people who do things that I know I wasn't called to do. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It doesn't make me think less of myself, but it makes me think more of someone that's like, man, God really unique, unique, uniquely equipped you to be able to do something that I'm intrigued by, you know? Yeah. So I'm sitting here listening to you, brother, and like, I salute the heck out of this, Appreciate bro. It. This is dope, bro. This is super dope. Um, Do you see this as a, as a, as a good breeding ground for your future career uh, in law? Oh, for sure. Like, um, 
I'm I'll be starting a Harvard Law. I mean, an internship at the Harvard Law Review this semester as well. And so that's basically like in the interview, I was talking about how I was on the debate team, like the amount of evidence that you have to like engage with, decipher and then compile that in your head and be able to articulate it. By the time you get to law school, I feel like it's light work at that because <laughs> like no, because I also had an internship over the summer in St. Louis at a um, law firm called Arch City Defenders. And so the reading that I was doing there was light compared to the readings that I'm doing within the debate space. Because if you're in, I'm in high school and I'm having to analyze like work that most college students don't get to until the PhD level. So like a lot of the articles you're reading, a lot of like the books that you have to engage with, these are like super advanced books that you have to break down and understand as a high school debater. So by the time you get to the law school level, it's, it's like second nature. Like you just, First of all, you already learn how to read it like 200 words per minute. Mm. But you can scan that, get the information out, and then like articulate it in whatever way, form. But also, I would say that policy debate is the best debate. And those are where the best debaters come from. So by the time you get to law school, you're able to like debate and articulate. And then you have the chance to slow down and really perfect your arguments when you're a lawyer. So it's the perfect pipeline to being a law, sc- a law school student and a lawyer after. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In order to be able to um to spit that quick, you know, that's like that's like Twister as rappers. You know, now yeah. I'm doing like the metaphorical, like like yeah, comparison. So that's like Twister. That's like Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah. You know, that's like Mystical from New Orleans. Um, just people that have this rapid fire. Uh, even Eminem sometimes will be you know super quick with uh with the wordplay. Um, is there any correlation between how fast you're able to read versus how fast you're able to like articulate, like what is your reading speed even like? You know? mm, yeah. I, I think the correlation is high, especially because in the debate round, you also, like I said, you don't know what arguments you're going to hit from the opponent. So while you're reading at that speed, you also got to figure out what you're going to say when you get in cross sex and they ask you questions about your argument that you just read. So it's really having to think on the fly. So even your reading speed is increased um, I don't know like what's words per minute, but I know like the way I can get through a book in like a day or two has like drastically changed because I am doing debate and you have to like compile so many arguments. Like even you debate four four rounds a day and then you have to that night you gotta prep for the next day. So you gotta read more arguments, you gotta construct more arguments because <laughs> people pull up new arguments the next day because they wanna win, they wanna get all the way to the finals. So even before rounds, you got to read new arguments. So it's just like reading on reading on reading, which just gets you in that habit of having to like take in information, be able to like compress that in your brain and then be able to articulate that in a way that sounds like smart to the judge so that it seems like you know what you're talking about, even if you don't. Because a lot of people don't know what they're talking about, but they can just debate it. Yo, that's what I was going to ask you is how much of this do you think is about the the presentation of how the debate comes across and sounds to where the judge might be like, I don't really know what they just said, but they sounded very. Is it is it confidence? Is it is it delivery? You know, style like like how how important of a role do you think the presentation is as opposed to the content? And this is gonna come back to me being a rapper, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah. That's a big side of contention within the debate space because there's called like the technical side of the debate, and then that's called like the truth. So judges would be like, "I'm tech over truth," or "I'm truth over tech," which is like the technical side is. Are you addressing every single argument that was on the flow? That's why they want to spread so they can get in as many arguments as possible. Versus the truth side is like, okay, you said all of this, but what they said was true. So it doesn't really matter. 
So most most judges err on the technical side. So it is about presentation. It is about being able to like construct the argument a certain way. And then also if you're a black debater, if you're speaking in like there's arguments called like nomo counterplans where like we're articulating USFG action, but it's in like AAVE. So we're saying that that allows like black autonomy and reclamation of different things within the United States. I don't know anything you just said. <laughs> I, none, none of those letters made sense to me. AAVE and reclamation. What? what? AAVE is African-American vernacular English. So like the talk that you just hear every day on the street, like what we're just like when we're bantering, going back and forth. And then you have like what's called like proper English. And so we argue that like being forced to talk in proper English within the debate space is a form of like policing and control of anti-blackness. And we should like reject that and allow black debaters to talk in whatever forms they want to talk in. And so then that allows them to like reclaim um, lost modes of communication and things like that. And so you, there's so many arguments that you can run. It's really just like fun. It's like a breeding ground for like creativity. You can try just throw stuff against the wall, see if it works. If you lose, just adapt the next round. Man, what's the schedule looking like, bro? When is the <laughs> next? When is y'all next debate, bro? Um, we're traveling now, so the team is going to Gonzaga the weekend of Halloween, right. and then we're going to Wake Forest November 11th. So like all the rounds are like last year it was mostly virtual but this year all the rounds were going back to all the colleges and earlier in the year we went to kentucky and northwestern and so the only rounds that get like live streamed will be the like the final rounds because there's so many rounds like i said there's over 60 rounds going on at a time within the debate tournament so it's like not widely accessible to the public especially since it's not like a debate where it's not like the stereotypical debate where you see in movies where somebody goes up there, they give like a very oratorical speech yeah. and then you're, then they rebut that. And then there's like a going back and forth. It's more very like technical and like fine tuned skill in the policy debate realm. Yeah. Um, all right. Y'all got to come back for segment number three for this <laughs> last part. Cause I've been waiting to ask this the whole interview y'all. Um, y'all stay tuned. We coming right back. Mission vision with D1 and my little bro, Christian guys. Peace. All right. We back y'all. We back mission vision with D1. Like I said, my little bro, Christian guys, we on here, bro. Uh, before we started recording, you showed me a sample online of a dude who was doing that, that rapid fire debating at 300 words a minute, yeah. 200 words a minute stuff. Um, uh, is that something now, you know, I feel a little awkward asking this question, but I'm going to ask it, you know, cause I've turned into that guy. Um, it's like when people ask me like, Oh wow, you're a rapper. Like, can you rap something like right now? <laughs> and depending on who they are, sometimes I feel like they're trying to, you know, like culturally appropriate me and just kind of like, Oh, the black guy, like, wow, like this is so cool. Just <laughs> go ahead on and rap. But other times when it's like, oh no, there's a person who like who gets it and, and who understands it and who is just genuinely curious to see me spit or I'm on their radio show or something and they wanna know if I go on Sway in the morning and he asks me to spit, man, heck yeah, you know oh, what I mean? Sure. So if you don't spit, you gotta spit. There you go. <laughs> and I have done it many times and killed it. Make sure you go YouTube D one Sway in the morning after this. Yes. I'm curious, brother, if you got anything that we can hear that's like a an example of you doing your thing debate wise. Yeah, let me pull it up. Um, I bet. Yeah. Sure. What it is, a video? Nah, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna do a live. So, you gonna do it live? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Oh, man. All right. Let's see. Nah, and like, it's like a train, like, the amount of practice that people, like, go through to be able to, like, spread. So, speed reading is combined. It's called spreading. 
the amount it's like map like if you think think before like a track race where mm-hmm. people warm up mm-hmm. before the um event that's what people do so people are doing like speaking drills people are doing like tongue twisters to like be able to like fully articulate your words and still like get at that speed okay so prior to the debate cats getting ready yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out to um Kumba. You heard me the gospel choir. I I uh I went to I went to Kumba's um practice and I went and they had us doing some drills to get our voice ready and I I recorded myself doing it and it was, it was like you said with some tongue twisters and it's just yeah. it sounds real weird if a person doesn't understand the context for why you're doing it, but it's getting sure. you right. So yeah. Yeah, so this is the one this is um my affirmative from last year. This is the one we, with the Kendrick Lamar song that was like playing in reverse. So we would have that play for like 45 seconds and then we'll basically start like the basic is like the music she's monopolized derosinated defamed black sound even when our stuff is explicit even when we deliver we make music to sound that is legible people always go listen to force to be translated into legible the world can you lamar as it sounds reverse be very slow child you a language or refusing language black debate is trying to articulate anything outside the resolution here from team frame we're trying to create a unifying ground with black anagram and translation from epistemological domination that sustains anti-black terror warren 15. the field of knowledge is uneven um, epistemology is a violent type of discursive linguistic unification of composition to establish a unifying ground language. Blackness speaks an inaccessible language and anti-grammar that resists translation. Impossible translation of blackness is a legible grammar that speaks through the black body and the spirit. The socially dead objects already situated in past one language as a pathogen. This pathology is a way of speaking otherwise in fo- other forms of discourse are inaccessible to some anti-grammar organization that um, express the inexpressible. Translation and domination are tools of political design to preserve its metaphysical organization. Bars. <laughs> Bars. Bars. <laughs> now, what the heck you just said, bro? What, what did you just so say? So, basically, I was talking about how the debate space functions similar to the music industry and the fact that it commodifies black sound and wants us, like, kind of like our conversation earlier, wants a certain black sound. And so, basically, we're saying through the topicality and framework arguments that the debate space does that as well, trying to force black debaters into a grammar that one can't fully fit in. And then I go into reading um warren 15 which is like in the debate space you have to cite your argument so warren would be the the last name of the author of the article which is calvin warren and then 15 is the year it published and so basically what he was talking about is how um blackness speaks an anti-grammar that destabilizes metaphysics and how metaphysics is an organization that like seeks to control and impose nothingness on blackness and through that anti-grammar there are forms of resistance that black people can um engage in that makes sense. That 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 part makes sense. See, bro, I'm the dude that's like, I, I'll be the judge that's like, all right, that sounded great, Christian. Now I just need you to like make it in layman's terms. You know I mean? But yeah. that sounded great. Like technically, like that was that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Bro, that's crazy. We we might have to do something well. You know, I got the recording equipment and stuff. We might have to do something to it. We put a beat underneath that, underneath you spitting that, bro. You never know with the right drums, you heard me, with the right hits. Like, for real, man. Yeah. And before we get out of here, bro, I'm also just extremely proud of you because, um, oh, this thing motion uh, sensitive. Hold on. Yeah. There we go. I'm also most proud of you because, um, bro, what is that pathway like from Jackson, Mississippi to... Uh, aspiring to go to Harvard to applying to go to Harvard to now being here at Harvard. Like, was that, was that a lifelong dream of yours? Was it someone specifically who kind of poured into you to uh, make you want to come up here? And and what was that process like? Yeah. So it's, it was been, it was instilled within me since like a early age, like especially for my parents. Cause like born in Jackson, then I went to school in Mad- at Madison central so that was like a predominantly white school, but I went to church at New Hope. So my parents were like making sure I had 
like a black foundation that grounded me. And so from early age, every Saturday, my parents would take me to Barnes and Nobles. So that was literally like my hangout spot. And that just like continued all the way up. And then middle school, like my parents really tried to expose me to alternatives because like I told you, so my dad ran track at Alabama and then my mom went to Alabama. So that's where they met in the biology lab. They love telling that story because <laughs> she was like, my dad always came into class late. Because uh, he would be coming from track practice and she'd be like, why is this guy coming to class and asking 10,000 questions? <laughs> <laughs> so they instilled that um, within me. And then like in middle school, they tried to expose me to a lot of stuff. So like we would like when I was younger, my the college I wanted to go to was tailored by what football team I liked at the time. Of course. So it would be like Alabama. And then when Oregon was hot, I was like, I want to go to Oregon. So then we like took a trip out to Oregon and then like late middle school when like you really start to focus on what college you want to go to. I was like, okay, I want to go to Stanford. Cause that's when I wanted to be an engineer or like computer science major. And so then we took a trip out to Stanford and then that's when I really started like focusing in and working on that. And the shift didn't really change until like I got on the debate team. It was like, okay, political science, sociology. I like, like discussing that. I had a, like a part where I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a politician. I was like deep into politics in Mississippi. Like I was state chair for high school Democrats. I was national policy director for um organization called Generation Ratify for a time. So I was like really into organizing. And then that's when I like decided I wanted to go to Harvard. So like grades were already there. The folks was already there. What made me want to go to Harvard? I don't know if you've seen the Adams Housing Day video. Mm-mm. So there's a black Adams, there's a Adams Housing Day video for Harvard Housing Day. And it was like 2019 and it was like basically each house makes their own song. And so they used the a lot beat from J Cole and 21 Savage and they like spit on it. And it was probably like the most watched housing day video I'll show you after. So that was like, okay, I want to go to Harvard now because it's mad black people here. I didn't even know they were here. Yeah. And so then, cause my goal is always to like try to at least achieve to try to get to one of those top schools. And so then that happened. And then I was just like grinding, focusing making sure my resume was sound, making sure my grades were sound. Um, and then I had a f- teachers along the way. So my speech and debate coach was like very influential, took me under her wing. My um, AP language um, teacher, um, she helped me like perfect my writing, get it down. Cause I also love writing poetry. Um, and so I had, she helped me like publish different poetries um, and different poetry publications. And then my last teacher was my, um, we have like a PSAT coach. So like teachers who help us with like SAT and ACT. And so those three teachers were very like crucial to me within my um, school because I, like I said, I was like a black student at a predominantly white institution. And so it was hard navigating that when most people don't expect you to even like want to like strive to go to a they top don't university. They aspire to yeah. go to somewhere like home. And yeah. so like one day my mom, me and my mom went into the counselor's meeting. It was like, this is where he wants to go like make sure he's on that path. And so mm. then that's how it all came together. And then I just love reading and writing. So that always came and just like perfecting that craft. By the time I went to, I like by the time the application was to apply to Harvard, I had already reached out to the debate coach here and talked to him. And he was like, yeah, we want you to come. And then I also have a scholarship, Bryce Cameron Impact Scholarship, who basically pays for majority of like tuition and everything for for me. So it's, it was a solid plan. Got the scholarship, and it was like, okay, I I can afford to go to Harvard, and then that's when I committed. 
Yeah, you, you just said so much, bro. You talked about the village that it took from your parents pouring into you to your mama making sure that that guidance counselor <laughs> knew. No, this where we going. So you just you just connect them dots. You know what yeah. I mean? From that to wow to reaching out to the um to the debate coach ahead of time. Yeah, junior year actually, because it was during so COVID had happened and everything was stopped. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just sitting at home. I can just I emailed. The Harvard debate team, Georgetown debate team, um, like Dartmouth, UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, Harvard was the only one who responded to me. Okay. And I was like, that's crazy because this is the, the top school. They ain't even got to respond to me. Facts. And they, so I was like, bet. And then a few days like a few days later, um, Georgetown responded. And then like months later, I reached out to Kentucky because I was thinking about going there as well. And they responded um, for the debate team. And so those were like the three teams I had narrowed it down to. And so then... When Harvard accepts you, you can't turn mm. that away. Mm. And especially like for undergrad where mm. the name of Harvard can get you into places that mm-hmm. like other places can't get you. So I was like, might as well come here, take advantage of the resources and like gain those resources and build myself up so that I will be able to go back and help my community. Yes, sir. Man, brother, I'm so proud of you, man. <laughs> I, I'm truly proud of you, bro. Appreciate like it. people going to get a lot of value from from just hearing your story, hearing you speak and and you were raised the right way, uh, but you are not just uh, a person that's, you know, holding this knowledge into yourself. Like, you're applying this knowledge, you know. You've acquired the knowledge over time, but now you're applying it, bro. And that's what's going to make this world a better place. That's what we need more of, bro. So, um, appreciate you for joining me on appreciate this podcast. You, my you already know, man. It's love, little bro. All right. Peace, y'all. All right now, that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, I got some more heat for y'all. This your boy D1 with the Mission Vision Podcast. Remember, Mission Vision is a lifestyle, so keep those threes up everywhere you go and be real, be righteous, and be relevant. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, whatever you got to do on Spotify, whatever. Like, comment, share this thing everywhere, and most of all, tell somebody about it and tune in, and you just be blessed. I'll see you real soon. Peace.